Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. For today's show, I wanted to go back and give you a quick reminder about the DNA of our ministry here at the Ambassadors Forum, and also go back to answering some of the tough questions we've been getting on our website. Now, first and foremost, without hesitation, we follow Jesus, without excuse. We believe in the Bible because he believed in the Bible. We believe the Bible's claim that there is only one truth and only one way to God. We believe that Bible's truth applies to every area of our lives and our world and should be applied to everything that we do. And we believe Christianity is the only intellectually honest worldview and by far the best explanation of the reality that we see around us. Some of the distinguishing characteristics of our ministry is this is a safe place to ask questions. The only way to grow is to ask questions. And you know what? The Bible wants us to ask the hard questions. God's not afraid of your doubt. He's not challenged by your questions. He has a truth that he has revealed so completely and so clearly through his scriptures and by his Holy Spirit that he wants people to know. So we don't shy away from the hard questions. Now, I know a lot of churches may have a different perspective on this, and we respect that, and we honor that, but here, this is a place for you to be honest about your doubts, to share the things that you're struggling with, and we want to partner with you to go to the Bible to find the answers to those questions, because we know that they're there. So we're not afraid of doubts. We're not threatened by challenges because we know that Christianity can handle the testing. Let me give you an example from my own life. In my first years at working at Intel, I was part of a group where we designed and built robots that made the computer chips that went into people's laptops and desktops and servers. That was before the time of cell phones uh, for those young people out there. I know it's kind of like the dark ages and the dinosaurs. So I was part of this group and my first project, it was like a four-year project and I designed this amazing robot and it had all these gears and electronics and did all this amazing fancy stuff and I built it and I tested it and I tested it again and improved it, and finally it was ready for rollout at one of our factories. And so it was a huge robot. One axis of the robot was like 90 feet long. And so we built it all here in the United States, and we shipped it to Malaysia to be installed at one of our factories there. So I flew to Malaysia 
to install this robot that I had designed and created and wrote the manuals on how to operate it and everything. So I went there for several weeks, installed the machine, and was just about ready to flip the switch and turn it on, and I was so excited. Turned the machine on, and it didn't work. And I was like, are you kidding me? I had the, you know, back here in Arizona, I had this thing running and and working perfectly over and over and over for days and weeks and months. You know, what is going on? And so I had a couple of technicians there helping me troubleshoot. And we finally got down to this one part of the machine. And I had designed it. I won't get too technical here, but I had designed it so that there was gears in the machine and the gears, if they got locked up, they wouldn't like bind and break, but they would actually slip like a clutch. And so what was happening, be- because these were, they were actually custom gears that I had to have. There's like one or two companies in the world who could make these complicated gears. And so they had made a fresh uh, set of gears for this new machine. And so I hadn't ever tested them out. So when I put them together on this new machine in Malaysia. Some of the gears still had sharp edges from when they were first made, and they were creating a little more friction and tension than they were supposed to, and they were slipping like a clutch. So went to turn the machine on, and it was like, gong, 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 gong. And it was like, wow, that's a weird sound. What's that? So we went over. We pulled the panels off of the machine. The technicians are watching me. They had the manuals that I had written on the machine out, and they're following them. And I said, we finally got to these set of gears. And I was like, okay, guys, I know what's wrong. We we need to take these gears out and file the edges down, and and then it'll work again. And it it, it was fascinating. The technicians turned to me, and they said, no, we're not going to do that. And I'm like, what? What do you mean we're not going to do that? And they're like, it's not in the manual. We have the manual. The the person who designed and built this machine gave us a manual. And the manual says, if we're troubleshooting and this is the problem, you do this other thing. You don't don't pull the gears out and file them down. (laughs) I said, no, guys. I'm the one who made the machine. Like, I'm the one who designed it. I'm, I'm the one who wrote that manual. And so, you have me here, the, the creator of the machine, here telling you how it really works. And it was, it was fascinating going back and forth. They had never had the designer, the creator, the author of the machine there on the factory floor with them, helping them you know, make it work and troubleshoot. And so we finally worked through it, and they trusted me enough. We pulled the gears off. We filed down the edges. We put it back together, and it worked beautifully. And so the point of that story is this. A lot of Christians try to live out their life according to their own wisdom, their own experience, maybe the wisdom and experience of other Christians around them, philosophers through the ages, textbooks that have been written in the past. And sometimes we forget that the very author of all of creation is with us. Not only has he written a specific manual, the Bible, to reveal his wisdom to us, he is present in the person of the Holy Spirit 
to talk to us and to instruct us and to give us wisdom and knowledge and help us apply that in our situations every day. One of the places in the Bible that talks about this concept is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. Let me read it for you here. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit himself teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. So here at the Ambassadors Forum, we take the Bible very seriously, and we take God very seriously, and we have total confidence that we can be equipped to know God and to defend our faith. All right, I will get off of my soapbox for the day, and we will get to your questions. Here's our first question today from the website. How can we know that the Bible is true? Now, this is a great question and probably one of the most important things that you as a Christian can answer for yourself. Because if the Bible is not true, we Christians have no faith. It's such a big question that I'm only going to give a very brief response summary on the show. Many well-meaning apologists have spent a lot of time and effort addressing what I would say are auxiliary elements of this question, which I think miss the main point. Some examples of what they would say prove that the Bible is true are facts like, well, it was written very shortly after the actual events, or it was translated and copied very accurately, or that it contains some accurate scientific information, or that archaeological evidence today confirm its history. But these examples only prove that it could be true, much like a textbook or an encyclopedia, not that it is the truth. Now, Christians believe that the Bible was inspired by God. In, in other words, we believe the Bible really does represent the very words of God, the absolute truth. And there are three compelling pieces of evidence that I want to share with you today. First one is historical, the second one is philosophical, and the third one is personal. So the first one, historical. For those of you who may not have studied the Bible in depth, the Ten Commandments are the foundation of the Torah, which is the foundation of the Old Testament, which is the foundation of the New Testament. So basically, all the Bible hinges on the Ten Commandments. And the amazing thing about the Ten Commandments is that they were given directly by God himself to over two million eyewitnesses. Or maybe I should call them earwitnesses because it was the word of God that they heard. Now the significance that all of these witnesses have conveyed the exact same story of that amazing and unexplainable event down through the generations to their descendants, generation after generation, that the Jewish religion of today hinges on that one account being true, that fact cannot be overstated. Now, compare this to other religions that have major revelation claims, like the Quran in Islam, or the Book of Mormon in Latter-day Saints. Those revelations had zero other 
eye or ear witnesses besides the person who claimed to hear from God. So Christianity stands unparalleled in the proof of its foundation. Second, overall, the Bible gives the best explanation of the reality around us. Everyone, even young school children, inherently know a few basic things. Number one, that this amazing world could not have come from nothing. And number two, that there is something wrong with the world today, and it should be fixed. These are the big ideas in life, and ones that philosophy and religions have tried to explain for thousands of years. My claim is that the Bible alone provides an internally consistent and accurate worldview to explain those observations that everybody has. Third and finally is the personal piece of evidence, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the most attested to person in all of history and a major figure in every major world religion, even besides Christianity. And he taught that the Bible was true. His profound wisdom, the miracles he performed, the prophecies he fulfilled are universally recognized. And his resurrection is the most documented event in the ancient world. His audacious claims to be God rested on the fact that the Bible was true and that it spoke of him. So taken in sum, these three proofs given overwhelming evidence that the Bible is the very word of God, truth itself, that we can believe in. Let's go to the second question from our website today. Why don't Christians just renounce the Old Testament? It reveals a God who is murderous and hateful. The message of Jesus in the New Testament is totally different. It's nothing but love, joy, peace, and harmony. Now, this is a very common perception, and it is totally false. I guess we can understand this in unbelievers, since they don't typically read the Bible. But I think it's a shame that this misperception exists among Christians, too, who should be reading and studying their Bibles. Let's just look at two references quickly today. This first one is from the Old Testament, which the questioner said was always murderous and hateful. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And listen to this second quote from the New Testament, which the questioner said was always love, joy, peace, and harmony. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. When the Lord is revealed from heaven in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. As you can see, those two verses are just the opposite arrangement than the questioner alluded to. And there are many more examples just like that. So yes, the Old and New Testaments do focus on different things. The Old Testament emphasizes the wrath of God against sin with glimpses of his grace, whereas the New Testament emphasizes the grace of God towards sinners 
with glimpses of his wrath. But both testaments clearly contain both elements. And to declare that the two different testaments portray different gods, it's just pure ignorance. So both the Old and New Testaments contain the same amazing story of redemption. And that is that even though that we are separated from God because of our sin, that's God's justice, he has provided for our salvation through his sacrifice, which is God's mercy. That is a beautiful story glorifying an incredible God. And that is the gospel all the way through the whole Bible, both Old and New Testament. Now let's go to our third and final question for today. Can Christians be anti-science? My answer is no. I don't think so. Now I know some people who have claimed to be Christians say that they don't trust science. And I know there's been some people who have accused Christians of not believing in science. But I don't think any true Christian can ever correctly be accused of being anti-science. I think it's impossible. Let me explain. I think science, and this is coming from someone who has dedicated their whole life to science. I got my degree at an engineering school, and my entire 25-year career has been spent doing engineering and science every single day. And let me explain something to you. I think science is irrefutably Christian. I think God created the three building blocks that are the basic ingredients of science. Number one, uniformity. Number two, creative thought. And number three, logic. Those concepts are only part of a biblical worldview. And they were captured and described in the Bible thousands of years before Francis Bacon coined them as a scientific method. Let's begin by considering the first of these three concepts, uniformity. In simple terms, uniformity can be defined as the confidence that tomorrow will look like today. In other words, the gravity won't suddenly stop working or reverse its direction or that the speed of light won't randomly fluctuate or that the behavior of the elements in the periodic table won't change. I think Christianity provides the only intellectual and philosophical justification for that uniformity. Let me explain it this way. Christians can have certainty in the world around us because the creator of the universe, God, never changes. He has revealed in his scripture that the stability of creation is rooted in the permanence of his character. But in an atheistic worldview, there is no intellectual or philosophical justifications for things. Only blind and unsupported faith. The kind of faith that the Bible condemns and rejects. The Bible calls us to a reasonable faith, not a blind faith. It is so ironic that atheists actually have more blind faith than the Christians that they accuse. Let's go on to the second concept, creative thought. Many people incorrectly personify science. They give it a lot more credit than it's due. They think it creates truth, but it never does. It can't. It can only be used as a tool to identify which potential truths are, in fact, false. But those important potential truths 
need to first be created by something. And they can only be created by the intelligence of a mind. Most people like to focus on the testing portion of science as the real uh, innovation and value of the method. But it's actually the generation and modification of the hypothesis that are the real gems. They are the only steps which can actually generate the truth. Perhaps a simplified example could help. Suppose you throw a rock in the air and it comes crashing back down to earth. That is your initial observation. Next, you guess that this happened because there's some universal force of gravity out there that attracts all objects in the universe together based on their mass. Great hypothesis. Then you test that hypothesis by throwing a feather into the air, and you observe that it too returns to the ground. So therefore, you correctly conclude that you have not yet disproven your hypothesis. But where did that truth come from? It was your mind, which is created in the image of God, that was required to formulate that hypothesis of gravity in the first place. Science can only test a hypothesis. It can never generate one. Let me conclude with the third concept, logic. Science is one of the most quoted but least understood constructs in our day. Most people have no idea how it really works. It's often deified as the ultimate weapon that secures the final victory of a completely materialistic worldview. How many times have you heard something like, well, I follow the science, or I only believe in the cold hard facts, or I demand data and irrefutable proof for my conclusions? (laughs) The problem with statements like that is that science itself requires an immaterial reality, the laws of logic. Science is rooted and constrained to the material world. It is wholly centered on observations. It starts with observations, it proceeds with observations, and is ultimately vindicated by accurate, predicted observations. But those observations are only a beginning. And without the laws of logic, those immaterial things that we know to be true... Without those laws to characterize and define and govern those observations, they're all meaningless. Let me give you an example of the law of non-contradiction. It basically means that something can't be true and not true at the same time. (laughs) This is so simple that even a small child intuitively knows this. They're like, yeah, I don't need to prove this. It's just so obvious. But no analytical conclusion in science can be deduced without this. As we observe the world around us and organize our conclusions into hypotheses and about what should happen if our analysis is correct, we are instinctively assuming that our conclusions cannot be both true and not true at the same time. It's embedded in our assumptions. It's a presupposition that we have. But that law of non-contradiction, can it be observed? Can it be measured? Can it be ultimately tested and repeated and verified by science? No. (laughs) The great irony of a materialistic worldview that tries to be culminated in science is that the necessary philosophical underpinnings required for that science cannot be proven by that science. So the next time someone describes to you 
well, science is the source of all truth, or science and the Bible are in conflict. Ask them to explain themselves and be ready to engage in a productive conversation. If they're open-minded, perhaps you may be able to help them understand the true nature and inherent limitations of their God of science. Remember, science only works if it has the ingredients provided by a biblical worldview. Well, I hope these answers have been helpful today. I want to encourage you to get in the game. Read your Bible. Engage in conversations with those around you. And most of all, think. Thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.